At 18, mom and dad give me a present for finishing high school. They say they'll take me on a trip. I can choose where to go. There is a small tropical island I've read about and I ask if we can go there. Ilya de Mozambique. Even its name sounds magical. When I read about its mansions made of coral, its tree-lined streets, its Hindu temple and mosque and churches, I was enchanted. But it's not just the rich tapestry of history and beauty or its balmy sunsets that makes me want to visit. Equally alluring is that this tiny island has largely been forgotten about by the rest of the world. Far to the south, Lorenzo Marques, or what we call Maputo today, replaced the island as the capital of Mozambique in 1898. Ever since then, Ulya has pretty much languished in obscurity, far from major airports in a country still recovering from civil war. By 2006, the year I visit, it receives few visitors, by one estimate, a dozen a week. It's this, Ilya's obscurity, its remoteness, which so appeals to me. As a child, my travels had generally stuck to well-worn paths, so now was my chance to reach a place far off the beaten track, a place not crowded out by other sightseers, a place difficult to get to. Even at 18, I can sense that this difficulty, and being willing to overcome it, might make being there all the more rewarding. This is Archipelago, a podcast featuring island adventures for you to enjoy in your armchair. I'm Alexander Matthews. Welcome aboard by plane from Cape Town to Joburg to Maputo to Pemba, and then from Pemba, a harbour town in Mozambique's northernmost province, a long drive southwards. On that drive, I'm seeing things I've only previously seen in books or National Geographic before. Baobabs, volcanic mountains rising like giant stone heads from the flat earth, termite mounds taller than humans, there's no aircon, but that's okay. There's cool enough air from the open window that's gushing into the car. Above us, puffy clouds cast puddles of shadow. We pass mud huts. Men with big biceps and glistening chests carry firewood on their heads. We stop to buy cashews. Women are roasting on coals by the side of the potholed road. The nuts are still warm as we eat them. Finally, after about five hours, we reach the causeway connecting the mainland with Ilya de Mozambique. We drive through the Makuti or Reed Town first. On either side of the road, huts are squished together in old coral quarries. Kids wave. Some run behind the car. One ignores us, contentedly wheeling an old tire along with two planks. On a beach, there are peeling dows, sheep graze on rubbish. Under palm trees, men repair fishing nets. The car slows as we reach the stone town. Many of the grand mansions here have already fallen into ruin, held together only by tree roots and the wool of ghosts. Several have no roofs, but large families are inhabiting them anyway. Podgy little faces are peering at us from the steps. Only a handful of buildings have been repainted and restored, like the bank and our hotel. The driver parks under a huge fig tree. Men swarm around the vehicle, wielding bangles and necklaces. Porcelain shards and glass beads from shipwrecks are connected by string. 
There are garbled offers of guided tours and dhow cruises. I smile at them, then look away from the window. No abrigado, I mumble. I wipe my hands and my shorts. The driver barks at them and the hustlers retreat a little to allow us to open our doors. Mom and Dad's room overlooks the square. I visit them after unpacking. As I reach the window, there are shouts from the hustlers gathered below like a ragtag paparazzi. I shrink back. I'm embarrassed at how relieved I am that my room is on the other side of the hotel, overlooking the pool. I mean, what was I expecting? Mozambique is one of the poorest countries in the world. Obviously locals are going to be enthusiastically entrepreneurial when tourists are around, especially when there are so few of them who visit. I suggest to mom and dad that we find a snack somewhere. When we leave the hotel, we are initially surrounded by the men, but after saying no thanks several times politely, we're left alone. I start to relax. We reach an arcade, bleach yellow. Here are the pharmacy, the souvenir shop, and the corner store. Each are spartan, with yawning shelves that dwarf soaps, laxatives, and coconut bangles. We pass a bakery. I will return to this every morning to fetch fresh bread rolls, which are always still warm. We get to a promenade with swishes of sparkling black and white cobbles. Half-naked maidens grip yellow lamps, staring wistfully out to the ocean ruffling towards us. There's a bandstand with an angular red roof in the center, and I wonder when last anyone played there. One day, a boat with a sputtering engine takes us to a desert island. Submerged but close to the lapping shore, I eat a mango. The sweet juice dribbles down my chin into the turquoise water. Sometimes we sit by the hotel pool, reading. Sometimes we go walking. I carry the digital camera my parents gave me for my 18th birthday two months ago. I snap away as kids backflip into an empty pool at an abandoned recreation center. I walk to the cemetery at the island's southern edge, taking pictures of the orange blossoms ablaze in the trees. The European section features ornate and ostentatious graves. On the other side of a crumbling wall lie the packed new graves of darker Catholics. As I approach the island's fort, indigo dusk is staining the sky. The moon, tumescent mercury, creeps higher as I wander up and down steps and into slave quarters, an officer's mess and a little chapel which is wedged uneasily between the ramparts and the sea. Later I discover this is the oldest building built by Europeans in the southern hemisphere. One day we go to the Makuti town where most of the island's inhabitants live. Apparently they came here in their thousands during Mozambique's civil war. They came here seeking sanctuary, away from the fighting and the landmines. They built makeshift homes with whatever they could find, scrap metal, thatch. Many of them stayed. We take steps down from the main road into the sandy warren to a silversmith's house. He shows us his necklaces and bangles. Finely wrought, fragile filigree, delicate in our hands. I buy a chain and it slides cool against my neck. A few minutes later, when we're walking away, there's a shout. We turn. Two of the men who are at the silversmith are running towards us. They're carrying the water bottle and baseball cap that I had accidentally left behind. Smiling, 
they hand both to us. After five nights, I didn't want to leave this island. The awareness of the disparities between my family and the vast majority of its residents was still there, and so was the guilt. But the discomfort I had felt on arrival had gone. I wanted to stay. How should you visit a place? How should you leave a place? What is left behind and what is taken? The ghosts of colonialism and all its evils? Of civil war and all its traumas? How do you meet those? Acknowledge those as a visitor? Is it better just to stay at home? I am not going to endeavour to answer this now. This is not a podcast about the tangled threads of tourism, privilege and poverty and my part in all of that. Instead, I'm going to come back to what Ilya gave me so generously. The way it stretched a teenager's horizons. The way it showed me, up close, the complicated intermingling of past and present. The way it showed me how easily it is for beauty and hardship, aliveness and dereliction, hope and neglect to coexist. It was a lesson in nuance and complexity which has stayed with me ever since. A quick shout out of thanks to my parents. There were certainly places that were easier and cheaper to get to than Ilya de Mozambique, but they generously indulged me and my determination to visit it anyway. And to you, the listener, thank you for joining me for this episode of Archipelago. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe to Archipelago in your favorite podcast app so that you're notified about future episodes. From the remote Scottish Isle of Jura to the balmy beaches of Bali, there's a lot to look forward to. And if you'd like to discover more of my work or want to find out more about me, visit alexandermatthews.net. Take care and thank you again.